So glad that you are here today. I'm going to ask you, if you've got your Bibles with you or you've got your device, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and get your Bibles open to Acts chapter 10. And if you brought one with you, but you don't typically kind of open it up this time, I'm going to challenge you, invite you, plead with you. Go ahead and open up. If you've got something to write with, because we're going to do a pretty deep dive uh, today, and I want you to be ready, ready for that. While you're finding Acts chapter 10, uh, I want to just talk about a couple of things that, that are on my heart and a few that are coming up. Uh, first of all, uh, I am so grateful this past week our students and our student ministry, this crazy crowd right down here, got, spent the week in Houston Impact Church of Christ, and they were doing a VBS and service projects. And it's just so incredible to see uh, our students out there ministering and serving again and being an impact for Jesus. Uh, grateful that that was a part of their experience, and we're looking forward to hearing more about that as the day goes on. I'm sorry, as the, as the weeks go on. Also, you heard Scott talk about this coming next Sunday is going to be our graduate Sunday. This is a time when we are launching these graduates off to the next phase of their life, the next chapter that God has for them. And so Justin Hammond, our youth minister, will be overseeing that Sunday, and you're going to want to be here for that. Our intern, Austin, is going to be bringing a message, and that will be a great time together. After that Sunday, after August 1st, we're going to launch into a new series, and I'm calling it Face to Face. And I want to tell you about this one because this is actually going to tie into what I talk about today. But I want you to be thinking about who you want to invite to this series. We're going to be looking in the Gospel of John at different encounters that Jesus had. And we're going to look at some very real people. Some people that are not that much unlike you or me. And Jesus comes into their world. He has an encounter with them. And that changes everything. So this is going to be a great series, I believe, for anybody. If there's somebody in your orbit, somebody in your sphere of influence, that you're um, wanting them to have an understanding of who Jesus is, I encourage you, be in prayer, be inviting them uh, to this series. And that's going to begin on August, uh, August 8th. And so there's, there's the lead in. Let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into the message uh, that God has for us today. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, the way that you're at work. Thank you for bringing us together today. For all those that are on this campus, for those that are joining us online, the way that we come together and we celebrate you. And Father, I pray that you would open your word to us today, uh, that we would hear a message that comes from you. Father, I ask all this in the name of Jesus, the one that we celebrate. His name we pray. Amen. The reason I want you to have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 10 already is we're going to finish up the I'm In series uh, this week. Um, I, I hate to get rid of the doc, though. That, we may have to find a new reason to keep this. But we're, gonna talk, we're talking about these moments where we're leaping, taking a leap of faith. This idea that I'm in and our commitment uh, to following Jesus. And we've been using the life of Peter and the decision moments that he faced all along. And at some moment, we've seen him take big leaps of faith. And he would be the one that would jump out of the boat and walk on water. 
And then sometimes we saw him at his worst. And even a little servant girl could cause him to buckle at the knees and deny who Jesus is. And then last week, uh, Pierce preached on this boldness that Peter had. And so we've seen Peter in many ways all over the map. And that's so relevant to my life because there's days where I feel like I've got faith and I'm strong. And then there's days where I feel like I don't know what I'm doing here. And the patience and the grace that God has for me in that. Well, today we're going to look at a, not the last segment of Peter's life, but the last decision moment that we're going to be exploring. And it comes in Acts chapter 10, and it's a very unique story. And you may not have spent a lot of time in the story. You may be vaguely familiar with it. So I'm going to challenge you to really follow along, because today I'm going to do something I don't typically do, and that's going to be I'm reading a lot of the story. Because all of the story is really important to understand the message that God has for us. And so, I'm going to challenge you to follow along. We're going to put it up on the screen as well. And there'll be some places that I'll stop and ask you to take some notes. But we're going to lay a foundation first, and I'm going to try to move, move quickly. And so we can get to some teaching that I think is going to be really, really relevant to where we are, both individually and perhaps as a church, too. Luke chapter, I mean, sorry, Acts chapter 10 starts this way. It's written by, by Luke, the same author that wrote the gospel. And he constructs this story almost like a movie scene. And so the scene opens, and we're introduced to our first character. And so here we go, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. All his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So already, Luke is introducing to this, and this is not a Jewish person. This would be what would be known as a Gentile. And basically, the world's divided into two people, two groups of people. There's the Jews and there's the Gentiles. So the vast majority of us in this room, we'd fall into the Gentile. We would be like this Roman centurion who surprisingly already seems to have some understanding, at least a respect and a worship of who God is. And so we're given this very encouraging report about him. Verse 3, one day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. It already gets very interesting. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear, which is the typical response when an angel shows up. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who's called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. So he receives this vision and says, I want you to go find Peter. Here's the address. That's what's going on in the story. There's a scene change now. I want you to jump with me to verse 9. At verse 9, it's like the movie where we end one scene, we cut to another location. About noon, the following day, as they were on their journey, and this is the people that Cornelius sent to go get Peter, approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, 
he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, pause just a second. What may not be evident to some of us is what just got described in the sheet is animals, game, that was forbidden to eat by Jewish people according to the Old Testament law. So if you go back and read the books of Leviticus, there's lists, and it almost seems like list upon list upon list of these animals, these food laws. And everything that's mentioned in the sheet that's being presented to Peter is outside of the food laws. And so, so just need, you need to have that because it's strange in just a second because it says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter then says, surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was stopped was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up, go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Now, we're going to pick up in just a second, but we've got to understand the scene that's going on. Peter has, is in this prayer mode, and it describes it as a trance, or he sees a vision. And it's the sheet being lowered, and the sheet has these, this food that he's not supposed to eat in it. Now, when I was in about fifth grade... There was one of our, a, a missionary from our church that had spent 38 years on the continent of Africa. And his family had come back home and he was resettling back in, as part of our church. and was going to be part of our outreach there at the local church. And so as he came back, part of the way to introduce him back to all those that weren't even born when he had left to go on to the mission field was he would go around and visit the different classes. And he sat down this time with the young fifth grade boys and girls class. And so we're sitting there and we're just fascinated because at that time, I mean, this is, this is pre all the places where you can get up and do Google Earth and just look at wherever you want to look at. And so it was just this far away place to me. And so we're asking all kinds of not really important, but we think cool questions. And so somebody goes, it's the grossest thing you ate. And we all lean in. I mean, you want to get fifth grade boys attention. We all were like, and somebody said, I heard they eat monkey brains. Do you eat monkey, did you eat monkey brains? And of course, we're like, no. He said, yes. I've fried monkey brains. Over there is considered a delicacy, which that's the word you place on food that you don't want to eat. It's a delicacy. It's an acquired taste. There's no way you acquire that taste. He said, but that wasn't the grossest thing that I ate. Now, if you want to get my fifth grade boy attention, 
you just say, that's not the grossest thing you eat. And we all leaned in. He had gone out into the field, out into the rural areas. And you have to remember, this is, at this point, it was, when he came back, he'd already been on the field for 38 years. And this is about, you know, you know, 30, 40 years ago in my life. And so there were still some unreached people group that it was not an unheard of thing to go into some villages that had not yet been presented with the gospel, that were essentially, for all practical purposes, cut off from the civilized world. And when, and they were so excited that these missionaries had come, that they're going to hold a feast. And he said, he said three days they were going to spend there, and three days, what he described is a little Dotson, a little hot dog-shaped dog, you know what I'm talking about? Had been playing the entire time. On day three, he said they began to force feed this dog a cornmeal substance. At the time of the feast, somebody grabbed the dog, and I don't know if they boiled it or roasted it, but they cooked the dog, picture the dots, and, and then sliced it horizontal or vertically. And so that you got dog with stuffing in it. Now, all of us went, why? Because that's gross. Okay? Now, I'm telling you that story for a very specific reason. Because what you need to understand going on when Peter sees the sheep being lowered down, it's so tempting for me to think, What's you know because one of their prohibitions was you know don't eat um, bacon or don't eat pork products you know don't eat shellfish. Okay, it's easy for me to think that what God is offering him is bacon wrapped shrimp, and he's actually testing him. He's seeing will he be faithful. He's not. Peter's reaction to the sheet is not. Wow, that looks delicious, but I'm still going to be faithful. His reaction to that, because he's grown up his whole life not touching that kind of food, is that's disgusting. Why do you need to see that view? Is because what God is showing him at that moment is he is about to ask him to go to a people group that Peter finds disgusting. Going where he's about to go turns his stomach. This is no small matter for Peter. And so, that's why God says, I'm declaring these people pure. I'm declaring them clean. And now you go. And watch how this plays out for Peter. Let's pick it up. Very, the first, verse 23. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived at Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him, and he fell at his feet in reverence. Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found this large gathering of people. It's like, oh, you invited He said to them, 
you are well aware that it's against our law for you to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that you should call anyone impure or unclean. Now, do you see the hesitation in that statement? I mean, Peter's opening line to this crowd that's assembled for him is, it's a big deal I'm here. Y'all get that, right? It's a big deal that I'm crossing the threshold of this house. Because if it were not for God telling me to be here, I would not be standing here right now. This is to the level that is turning Peter's stomach. Verse 29. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent me? Cornelius answers. And Cornelius gives gives a, an account of the story of the showing up of the angel. Verse 33. So, I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now, we are all here in your presence of God. We are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Man, so this is a ready to listen audience. Then Peter began to speak. I now re- that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing, and here's a line I want you to underline, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Announces the good news. He begins another gospel message. And we need to understand what Peter's doing here is he is preaching the gospel. Now, the gospel, if you've heard it, it's the good news. That is what the word means. That's the definition of the word, this good news. And it's not just a religious word. In fact, in the first century, it had much more political connotations. And what the good news is, every time a gospel was preached, was always when one ruler, one general, one king, one emperor, one Caesar would conquer an area. And once they conquered an area, they would send messengers ahead of them that would say, we bring good news. You now serve under the authority of. You're now in the kingdom of. And they'd fill in the name. Now what Peter is doing, again on Acts chapter 2, when he preached what we call the Pentecost sermon, and he's doing it here again because he's got a new audience in front of him. He's bringing the gospel message that you are now under the authority of Jesus Christ. And God comes in peace to make war. And he, be, and he preaches this message. And he lays out the history of how he was crucified and raised again. And what God was doing to the people of Israel to bring message. Jump, uh, jump with me to verse 39. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not, he was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. Verse 42. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives 
forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter is saying these words, the Holy Spirit comes on those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were also astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Remember, they're having an internal problem with this already. And here God is pouring out his blessing on these people. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So Peter says, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So we order that they may be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few more days. And if you keep reading on into chapter 11, you know that this, this, and Peter then has to go back to all the people that are already inside the church, already inside the circle, and he has to defend himself to them as what God's doing here. Because God is reaching outside of his comfort zone. God is calling him to step into a place and step into a people group that he thought was too far from them. And he brings them the gospel message because that's what they need. Now, here's where we're going to get deep and we're going to try to go quickly. It's easy to look at this story and the takeaway, at least for our modern years, is that what we really should do is that just means that we need to learn to be tolerant of everything. Okay. I'm going to make a case today that tolerance and the gospel are not the same thing. This is not a place where it's calling us to tolerance. That's not what the message is here. Because if it was, you've already got Cornelius, who seems to be a pretty good guy, right? But, in fact, his morality is pretty upstanding. He's not in a bad place when it talks about his morality. He's a prayerful man. He's taking care of the poor. He's a guy that you want to be his neighbor. And yet, there's something that he and his family lack. And his morality is not going to save him. Your morality is not going to save you. There is something that he lacks, and it's critical. And he lacks the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul, I'm sorry, that's what Peter takes to him. So here's my first takeaway. I'll tell you this. The world does not need more tolerance. The world needs the gospel. This is not simply about look the other way. In fact, I want to pit, if you would, just for a moment, what tolerance versus the gospel looks like and why I'm making a case that what this is calling us to do is to, to be more about people that are gospel people, not simply tolerant people. Here's a tolerance versus the gospel. If you want to write these down, you can. Tolerance simply says you're okay. Tolerance just says it's okay to be who you are. The gospel says none of us are okay. So we need Jesus. Once again, his morality wasn't going to save him. Your morality wasn't going to save you. I don't care how good you are. Your morality is not going to save us. The gospel doesn't come along and say everybody's just okay the way they are or there would be no need for Jesus to have done what Jesus did on the cross. That would have been a waste and a shame. We need to hear this message, this good news that we can now come into the authority and God's doing a new thing. And yes, He accepts us where we are. But here's the point number two. Tolerance ignores your condition. It says you're okay just the way you are. 
but the gospel heals. The, the gospel is an actual antidote to your problem. Tolerance does not address brokenness. The gospel does. And last one is this. Tolerance leaves you where you are, but then gospel invites you to better. So, maybe you're feeling that you're out of God's reach on this one. That, that you're not okay and God's angry with you. It's, what I'm not saying is that God doesn't begin with you where you are. But He loves you enough to not leave you there. I don't want a doctor, and you don't want a doctor that's tolerant. I don't want to go in with a serious disease and look at the doctor and he goes, that's okay, I accept you just the way you are. Uh, are we going to do anything, doc? No, you're good. You would not do that for your children. But the gospel drives us in love to say, we love you enough to not leave you in a diseased condition. There's healing. And the gospel invites you to better. And the good news of the gospel is you can start wherever you are. And it's still going to invite you to better. To wholeness, to complete. Second takeaway is this. God's at work ahead of us in the mission of the gospel. God is always at work ahead of us in the mission of the gospel. Do you notice what happened in the story? There's not just Peter's vision but Cornelius had a vision. Cornelius was already being moved upon by the Spirit of God. He was already being acted upon. God was already at work in his life. And that's just where the way God works with the gospel. It's always out ahead of us. It's not that we simply show up and suddenly we bring the gospel to somebody. It's that God's already at work in, in ways that we don't even expect. One of the fascinating things that you may not even be aware of that's going on right now is with all the refugee situation that's coming from the Muslim countries into, around the Mediterranean and into Europe. We're getting reports back from missionaries that are on the front line there in many of these camps that they're coming in and they're starting to ask a really peculiar question. And it's not just one. This is patterns being repeated over and over and over. These people from Muslim places are coming in and saying, I'm having dreams about this guy named Jesus. Who is he? And missionaries are using that as an entry point to say, we can tell you about him. Here's something you need to know about him. It's the Cornelius thing all over you. God is still working in that way. That's not simply limited to just Bible times. God is still working, and there are people coming to faith in extraordinary numbers because God's already at work. And then others are coming along that God's bringing and saying, now, fill in the blanks for them. Tell them who Jesus is. So I wonder, who's God already at work in your life that's in your circle of influence, that's in your workplace, that perhaps is in your family, that perhaps is the neighbor down the street. I, I don't know, but where could God already be at work that simply now He's waiting for you to step in and speak and fill in some of the blanks? Takeaway number three is this. 
Everyone you know is a candidate for the gospel. Everyone you know is a candidate for gospel, including those that get under your skin and drive you crazy. The ones that don't share your skin color. The ones that don't share your socioeconomic range. The ones that don't vote like you. Everyone you know is a candidate for the gospel. And so then what we need to do is then open our eyes and and see the world differently. Because we've all got a big dose of Peter's disgust in us, don't we? Where I can look at a people group and I can label them too far gone, out of reach, too stubborn, too politically minded, too too rebellious, whatever. I can come up with all kinds of reasons all day long, place the label, and that kind of eases me from any kind of responsibility. And yet God's saying, I am declaring that my gospel is available for the entire world. Don't you apply a label to it, Scott. Don't you put a category that's out of my reach. Everyone you know. The person you know that's got the really troubled, bitter, painful past. The one that's broken the one that hurt you, everybody is a candidate for the gospel. Because that's how powerful the gospel is. So let's end this way. Here's my challenge. I want you to really apply this this week. So if you want to take a screenshot of this, think this through. Who's somebody that you think is outside your circle? That's outside the extent of God's grace? That you think is too far gone? And as you wrestle with that person, and this isn't supposed to be easy, by the way. I want you to step one. I want you to talk to God about that person. Did you notice that Peter had his trance when he was in prayer? Now, it doesn't say what he was praying about specifically. But would you be willing to consider my best guess? My best guess is that he was praying about other people to come to know Jesus. He just wasn't expecting God to answer the prayer the way that he answered the prayer. And as we start seeing everybody as a candidate for the gospel, you will find yourself talking to God more and more about people. Because they'll be on your heart. So I want you to talk to God about that person or that people group that you think is outside his reach. And then, I want you to talk to the person about God. Talk to the person about Jesus. And here's the powerful part. The results are not up to you. You're not their Savior. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, He's got it. The invitation from Acts 10 is simply make yourself available. And you watch how God answers that prayer. And watch how the gospel goes forth. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for 
each of us as we find people in our lives that we don't want to mess with. Uh, we don't want to be troubled with. We don't want to be interacted with. Father, that you would help us not to be tolerant, but to be gospel-minded, to be driven by love, to be pushed forward that way. So, Father, I ask that as each of us sees somebody right now that we think may be too far gone or just gets under our skin, and we don't want to share Jesus with them that you would begin softening our hearts and opening our eyes and helping us to have the courage to speak. So, Father, this week somehow, maybe in a very unexpected encounter, that we would put a word in for Jesus and we would not be silent and we let your Spirit work. Father, I'm so grateful for the good news that Jesus comes in peace and there's forgiveness of my sin. So, Father, now may we speak about that. It's in the holy name of the one that paid for it all that we pray. Amen.